To left center, deep, gone! Brewers lead it! And a swing and a miss, he struck him out! Down the line, and that's the ball game! Brewers unfiltered on the road here in St. Louis, and it is the final regular season road trip. Hard to believe for the Milwaukee Brewers. Uh, good morning, good afternoon, whenever you're listening to us. It is Adam McAlvey, Tim Dillard, and Sophia Minert. Joining you here for another week of Brewers Unfiltered. Um, guys, personally, I am shook that this is the last regular season road trip. I don't know how we got here, but uh, we're on the road, St. Louis, and then a weekend series against the Miami Marlins. Then there will finally be an off day at home on Monday before the last regular season homestand. So as we're sitting here um, in St. Louis, the the game opener or series opener, excuse me, went to Adam Wainwright and the Cardinals, the 200th career win for Adam Wainwright in a shutout. And uh, despite all of that, the division lead is still six games over the Chicago Cubs, and they are still working on that magic number to lock up the National League Central. So just kind of as we're, uh, you know, heading into this final week on the road as the team is wrapping up. This long stretch of 17 consecutive games before that last off day. Kind of what do you think is the state of the club right now? Uh, the state of the club for me is a reminder of how quickly like things change in this game. And Craig Council always tells us this in the context of like a hitter who's not going great. He says, like, I know this is a talented player. It changes so fast. And I think the Brewers went from the high of Mark Canna hitting a grand slam, one of the best moments literally one of the best moments in the history of Miller Park American Family Field. I think we'll think about it like that in the years to come. And and then two tough games where the offense is kind of shut down and you know when you don't score, those are tough days. And I I want to ask you Sophia what you thought about the clubhouse last night because obviously there was some tipping of the cap to Adam Wainwright and deservedly so 200 wins is, I mean, that guy has pitched 18 years in the big leagues. He's been fantastic against the Brewers to two, six, eight ERA and more than 300 innings. Um, so you, you certainly respect uh, what he's done, but I thought, th- I thought there was a little edge in the clubhouse last night. I don't think the guys were very happy with the performance um, at this time of the year with everything that's at stake. And I don't know, uh, Sophia, I was curious because we didn't talk about this when we were done talking to players. I thought there was some edge yesterday. Yeah, I think so too. And I think, you know, I think you could go back to Sunday, how they lost the game, 2-1 to one in extra innings to the Washington Nationals. As you said, you're coming off of that high of Mark Hanna, the Grand Slam, um and then you come in Sunday and it was a really frustrating day for them offensively I mean they had great opportunities to win it in the eighth and the ninth with runners on base weren't able to cash in even just the the final at bat of the game Rowdy Telez hit a missile uh down the first baseline that you thought man that that could win the game if it gets by um and then the Nationals made a, a terrific play I think it was so Joey Manessas, who was that first base um, for the Nats, and they make the throw at home, and that it was just like it was such a abrupt, harsh ending to, um, to the game in extra innings, and then last night to get shut out one to nothing against Adam Wainwright, who, with all due respect, and like you said, tip of the cap, earning his 200th career win, it has taken him a long time to get to that mark, specifically this season. Um, it's just been a very trying season for him, and this looked like vintage Adam Wainwright um, with just his command of everything. And I think you heard from William Contreras. 
you know, what, what they saw from him was slow, slower, and, and still slower, and they just weren't able to make the yeah. adjustment. And I think that's where they were frustrated is they just weren't able to make the adjustment. They weren't able to cash in kind of in back-to-back days. Um, and I think every game now it's like you feel like you're trying to get that edge, right? You're trying to cut down the magic number. You want to continue to add to that division lead. The Cubs were off last night, so it was an opportunity to – to, you know, knock another game, right? Knock another game off that magic number. So I, I agree. I think this is – I think this team, they really want to lock up this division. I think they know what that could do for them moving forward. Um, so, yeah, I think there was there was obviously respect for Adam Wainwright. I thought it was cool that a lot of the players stayed in the dugout even after the game had ended and it was a frustrating game for them. A lot of the players stayed in the dugout and they waited for Adam Wainwright to come out have his moment in front of the fans, a curtain call. I just thought that was a really nice sign of respect um, that they did for, for Wainwright. Yeah, that was that was a classy move. And <clears throat> I think you're right, Sophia. I don't think they wanted to. <laughs> I think I, I agree. I think these have been frustrating losses, and they're kind of like, well, dang, now we got to stay out here and honor the game because this is a big moment in the game, but they probably didn't want to. Uh, when you have a heartbreaking loss like that, you're just like, man. But in defense of the whole thing, I, I believe Adam Wainwright was just good last night. Oh, it didn't matter who he was pitching against. So you kind of can take this game out a little bit uh, as a whole, but it's not like the Brewers are getting blown out. You know, if you're get, if you lose by 10, you're kind of like, ah, you know, halfway through the game, you're like, whatever, we'll get them tomorrow. You know, you kind of have that mentality. They're losing a whole bunch of close games. Their last 10 losses have been all within 10 or two runs or fewer. In fact, they've had seven one run losses in those 10 and the rest of them are two runs. That is a big deal. I mean, that just means that they're fighting and then they come up short and it hurts and it should. And it's a good thing because they care. Totally right? agree you with you, Tim. Like, care. It's not a criticism yeah. to say they were mad. And I don't, I didn't mean to be like, Oh, they're, you know, edgy. I think I'm saying it like that beats the alternative of a just tipping thing. your cap. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, it's the right thing to do. You do want to stay out there. It's, it's a moment for baseball. Sure. Um, and especially a guy like that, that's, I mean, if you've been around baseball in the last 18 years, you've heard the name Adam Wainwright. So, and, you know, a little bit of history there, but at the same time, take it personal a little bit. It's okay to, it's okay to use that as fuel, right? Waterboy did it, tackling fuel, whatever it takes to to kind of get ready for the next day. But again, they're losing close games, and it's tough. Uh, and and I think, uh, you know, if the if the if the the central was closer, I think it would it would be stressful, right? But if you're up by six, it's almost like you know what we're playing some really good baseball now. It's just to get over that hump. And I, I, I mean, I feel for them. They to win or to lose that many close games, which really it's a lot of the close games all year long, right? But um, they've been tough lately. Well, I think Tim, you know, bringing up the pitching is a good place because if you say Sophia at the beginning, you said kind of the state of the team, it, the offense is hit or miss, which is, you know, that's a criticism of this offense. That's also baseball. Like, yes, yeah. you score fewer runs in your losses. Um, that's how the game's been for 150 years. <laughs> this team is maybe a little more extreme than most in that. Um, but the pitching is in a really good place. As Sophia would say, you knock on all the things saying that. But the, 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 if you, the pitching is in a remarkably good place as we sit here and talk. Um, the three starters are right where they want to be. Freddie Peralta is pitching great as a as a number three. Um, and if you've watched the way that the bullpen has been managed over the last, you know, really September, 
there have been no uh, three days in a row for, for a single pitcher in this span, even playing all those close games. And they're purposely doing that. And I think the biggest benefit of building a little cushion during that stretch where the Brewers were winning and the Cubs were not is it's allowing Craig Council, Chris Hook, Jim Henderson, Walker McKinman to make decisions that are, while you know, at the same time trying to win the game in front of them, which you have to do because nothing's locked up, but it really is allowing them also to think about playing into October. And there are little examples of that here and there. One was in that Mark Canna Grand Slam game, 2-2 in the eighth. I think it was Trevor McGill warming up and not Devin Williams. McGill was, you know, if Canna, you know, gets a base knock and it's a one-run game, I think it was going to be Trevor McGill for the save in the interest of Devin Williams had pitched, I believe, three of four at that point, two in a row. They're just, they're able to do things like that right now because they've given themselves a slight cushion. So it's this really interesting balancing act. But I do think it's important to note that, like, if you drew up, where would your pitching be at this time? I mean, it's pretty much as we talk right now, because, again, things change fast. But right now, they're in a really good spot. Yeah, and and you bring up Trevor McGill. Um, As we're recording this before the game on Tuesday, he's going to be the opener here on Tuesday, game two of the series against the Cardinals. So they're going to essentially follow the same formula, which they did last weekend against the Miami Marlins, which is have McGill be the opener, most likely followed by a couple of innings from Colin Ray, who, by the way, was excellent in that last appearance, four and two-thirds, only allowed one run there. Um, and, and yeah, Adam, I think to your point, as we're getting through this, these final few days of 17 straight, you know, Craig Council and Jim Henderson have been really mindful about the usage with the bullpen, and they've been trying to script it as much as they are able and as much as the games allow them to do this, essentially have the relievers on an every other day schedule so that there is built in rest for them. Like you mentioned, Devin, he was in three of four days. And I think... First of all, it's health for all of them. Rest, which we've talked about, they're always going to prioritize. But also, like, they're not able to do a six-man rotation if Adrian Hauser and Colin Ray aren't pitching well, if they're not able to provide length, if they're not able to be effective. And then also, all the pieces that have emerged with Trevor McGill stepping up since he's come back, Abner Uribe, how much trust they have in him. Um you know, Bryce Wilson, his ability to cover multiple innings, and then you've got Iron Man Hobie Milner, who's closing in on 70 appearances on the season. Um, so I think it, I think you're absolutely right. Like, if you could dream up a scenario, this is as close to how you would want to script it, I think, as you could ask for. Um, and that, yeah. this, this is the strength of the team. Like, this is – if they want to make a deep postseason run, this is honestly where they have to be um, for all of that to, to happen. Yep, they're, they're not scrambling in the pitching department. It's can they? The question is, each day is can they score? Can they score a couple of runs? And when they do, they're they're pretty good. Yeah, and they would be they would be negligent if they weren't managing the bullpen and the starters this way because this is what you get when you have that kind of lead. If it was one, you know, if it was one game in the Central, was the difference between Brewers and Cubs and Cincy right now? Well, you would see some different stuff, but they're enjoying that cushion. At the same time, they don't want to just you know shut guys down completely. They want to give them rest. I think they're doing a great job. That's a great point because um, there's a lot of that stuff behind the scenes that you don't really get to see if you're not at the game. Um, so, yeah, you're right. Who warms up and when they warm up, it matters. 
My one of my favorite. Well, there was so much to take in from the Mark Hanna Grand Slam. I mean, just the the reaction. I mean, his reaction, the bat flip, the reaction from the dugout, the fans, of course. I mean, it was just it was an absolutely electric moment. I think one of the signature moments of the season. And and Adam, you, you may be right that like looking back, we might say like, wow, what a. I mean, that might be a top 10 moment in ballpark history. But one of my favorite moments, we had a great shot as soon as Mark Hanna hit it. I don't think, I think the bat was still in the air from the bat flip. Craig Council turns around and runs to the bullpen phone while everyone is going nuts around him and is getting on the phone because Trevor McGill was warming up and he wanted Hobie Milner to get loose for the ninth inning to keep McGill ready for the next day. And maybe they liked the batch up better with Hobie, but it was one I was like, this man, he does not stop thinking. Even in like a monster moment like that, he is on to the next, you know, decision, the next, uh, the next arm. It's like, okay, what do we need to do to get through this game? And also still thinking about the next day. It was like a signature Craig Council moment to me of like how locked in he is and how much he is always on to the next thing. It was so funny. Um, that was that was the best part of like the, the replay. And I don't even think the bat was in the air yet before council turned. I think as soon as it was hit, he just turned and went straight to the phone and, and kind of sprinted too. I mean, he could have just walked over there. Um, and, and, but I, what I love is that he's just, he's a ball player still, even if he's a manager, he's still a ball player. Like you still have to kind of stifle those emotions. I look at it as a pitcher. Listen, if you're mad that you just gave up a home run and you're, you know, you're upset, you're visibly upset. If you let that linger, that carries into the next at bat. And then you let your emotions get you in a bad way. But it also can get your emotions in a good way, where it's like if Craig Council's throwing his hands up in the air going, yay, we scored. And he's like, oh, wait, I got to get to the phone. So to be able to, to manage those emotions and, you know, even in good moments uh, to get the job done, to get to the phone, because that's, that's what matters. I thought it was an incredible moment. Uh, and I saw in the replay, the first thing I said was like, look at counsel in the dugout. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I, I, what I said the next day is you can criticize individual moves. That is what we all love about this game. Like thinking we could make a better decision. And, but I mean, he does a pretty good job with the collection of talent that he has in front of him. And he, I agree with you, Sophia, the thinking ahead is a huge part of that job. Um, the other part of it that fits into this is getting buy-in from all your guys about this idea of like being a cohesive unit. Um, and Trevor McGill is an example. He's pitched in every imaginable role. He's switched organizations. You know, he's a guy who's talk about an edge. He's a guy who comes with some edge. I think fans can just see that watching him pace around between innings or whatever it is. Um, and it is a, uh, it's no small thing to keep everybody pulling in the same direction throughout the year. And I think that is one of Craig Council's strengths that you, you know, doesn't, you can't measure that. Um, but I think if you talk to the guys in there, it's one of the things that he's really good at. He's just on top of it. I think, I guess is the the bottom line of, I think if you, if you ask the players, if you ask the other coaches, um, he's, he's just on top of it. And, you know, they've they've been able to add to this division lead and they, they had a great homestand going five and two against uh, Miami and then the Nationals. And they've done a lot of this over the last 10 games without Christian Yelich. And now they're coming up on decision time um, as he deals with the back soreness going back to the Yankees series. So missed six games, came back Friday night against the Nationals. They made a defensive substitution for him. 
and he's been out since then. So there, um, you know, when we spoke to Craig Council at the start of the Cardinals series, the decision was really, do you hope that he can get better in the next few days and hopefully be ready by the weekend when they go to Miami, or do you just retroactively place him on the injured list and have him hopefully fully healthy, ready to go, by the final homestand, uh, which which could be an option for him. So that's that's the tricky spot, as Craig Council described it, of he is getting better, he's showing improvement, he's been on the field, he's doing a lot, he's running, he's playing catch, he's hitting in the cage. Um, but the message that we've gotten you know, every day has been they need 100% of Christian Yelich. And so that's determining, that's ultimately the decision that they're going to have to make, again, as we're sitting here, um, that's that's the decision that they're also struggling with and Christian is struggling with because he wants to be out there, especially at this time of year. Probably this specific question is going to be answered by the time most people are listening to this because of the rules of backdating injured lists. You got to do it today, basically, as we're sitting here on Tuesday, early Tuesday, um, if you want him back for that final homestand. So I would say, though, in the larger picture, I, I – I, the frustration I hear is like, well, why didn't they just put him on the IL to begin with? And that's one of those armchair quarterbacking sort of things that's really hard with injuries and really hard with backs. And I am not, I, I'm knocking on all the Sophia things, but I'm fortunate that I haven't had back problems because I'm such a high-level athlete to this point in my life. But people who have back problems say it's it, you just don't know. Like you wake up one day and you're good and you wake up the next day and you can't move. And had they known this was going to be a lingering thing, they would have put him on the IL. But at the time, I think it was a three-game division, a three-game separating the Brewers and Cubs. It was a different situation. And they just didn't think this was going to be a long-term thing. They thought it was going to be a couple of days and then he's back in there, which is why he played on Friday night against the Nationals. And then it just, it wasn't good. Then you have to just adjust. And... um I know, I understand like with this one, he's a, he's a, a good player. He's a high profile player. He's, you know, got that big commitment, contractual commit, like people want to see him on the field. And I think for whatever, for all those reasons, he generates more frustration out there in Brewers nation when he's not in the lineup. And I just think that we know talking to him, we know talking to Craig council, how much they want him in the lineup, but it's like, yeah, if you have him the way he played on Friday, that's no good. Like he, you know, he's got to be able to run. <laughs> like that's that's what makes him so good. So I, I think they're <clears throat> trying to figure this out. And I have a hunch. If my, you know, again, when people listen, they know the answer. I have a hunch that caution is going to win the day. I mean, I, to me, there's no. What's the benefit if you put him on there or not? You get another you know, pair of legs that come from AAA or however that works. But I'd, I'd say just keep him. Keep him there. Don't stick him on the IL. Just let him be there. And if he feels good one day, then, you know, maybe test it out. But what if he feels good in two days, but then he has to wait a bunch of time? So I don't know. I would say why not? What you want is if when he's healthy, have him out there immediately getting at-bats. Uh, the last thing you want to do is push it to the very end, and then all of a sudden, here, have a whole bunch of at-bats, and, oh, yeah, here's the playoffs. But, I mean, he looked good running in the outfield, though. I would say the hard part about that, though, Tim, is they already have one roster spot that's just – I mean, they're just not playing Brian Anderson. He's on the roster, and he just cannot get into a game. 
So you have a yeah. one roster spot that's being occupied and not used. And I understand there's an extra spot at this time, but you know, there's a there's a couple of seldom used members of this roster right now. And when you start getting Yelich in there too, it starts to make it a little tough just to like put the matchups out there that you want. So I think that's kind of the argument for one, it gives you that those extra legs to come up, whoever that would be. And and two, it just it just sort of cools the jets for Yelich. Cause you, you said to him, he is out there running and he's doing things. And I think the temptation, it, like he wants to get back. But if you do that IL, it sort of cools the jets until that final homestand and takes the pressure off to get back in there. I, that, that's sort of the case for, I would, I would think. And that, that maybe leads to, you know, one of the other roster moves that they made recently um, at the start of this series. And that was, or excuse me, over the weekend, and that was optioning Joey Weimer and bringing up Blake Perkins, uh, who was working his way back from an oblique strain. So Joey, uh, we know we've we've raved about his defense, but ultimately just the lack of consistent production for him at the plate um, is what is what led to this decision. So 132 games for Joey, just a 204 average, 116 strikeouts on the season, and he was just really struggling in September. Part of that was the emergence of – Tyrone Taylor's been playing a lot while Yelich has been dealing with the back stuff. Sal Freelich has af- affected his playing time. The addition of Mark Hanna, getting Mark Hanna regular at-bats with how he's produced since the trade deadline. So Joey was really just like the odd man out in terms of the playing time. And so in September, he was just two for 19 with eight strikeouts. Um, and so you do have Blake Perkins up um, and – you know, Garrett Mitchell is back in, in AAA. He finally got cleared to play in games, but he needs he needs as many at-bats and games in AAA as he can. So um, that's kind of what the outfield picture looks like for them. And, and, Adam, you could say that, you know, Joey's spot, they were, they were kind of playing short with that as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's 100% right. And, uh, you know, to me, the things that have happened – subtly over the last couple of weeks is getting the bullpen situated the way you want in terms of rest and getting guys really primed for October. And I think they're also kind of quietly setting up the roster because you'll go back down to 26 for that wildcard round. It's different because it's, you don't need as many pitchers. So you've got lots of flexibility because it's three games, but, um, I think they're kind of subtly setting up the roster for what what it might look like in the playoffs. And part of that, you mentioned Garrett Mitchell. I think he's going to make it. I mean, I haven't like got the reports from AAA. I just see the box scores. You know, there's like a stolen base in there the other day, playing all nine innings. I think he's checking the boxes. Um, so uh, I haven't even really asked much about it because I just think it's irrelevant at this point. He's going to play out the, the AAA season, which is one more week. But I think he's got a chance to, to make it, which would be really remarkable. And a weapon defensively <clears throat> on the base paths, who knows what it'll be offensively because it's just been a small number of at-bats. But I think that could be a little spark. Um, so... They send Joey Weimer down in part. He can just play down there, and should something happen to one of these guys that you mentioned that's been playing a lot, Marcana, you know, all the regular outfielders, it's better to have a Joey Weimer who's had a week of solid at-bats 
than a Joey Weimer who's been largely kind of sitting on the bench and picking up in a bat here or there and not really having much success in that role. Well, I think we forget that, <clears throat> excuse me, the Brewers have a lot of rookies that have been playing such a big role all season long. You look at a lot of teams out there, especially playoff teams, I doubt many of them have three to four rookies in the lineup, which uh, every day, because that's pretty much what the Brewers have had all season long. And we saw them, you know, send Bryce Terrain down to kind of, you know, recharge his batteries. And I think Weimer just wasn't seeing the ball. It looked like he was pressing. And when you feel like the whole world's on you and you're not getting it done, it just gets worse. So, yeah, he just needed to recharge, get back to, you know, get back to the zone. And uh, without the full court press, you know, the minor leagues, that's where you can kind of just relax a little bit and play your game. And he'll be back. He'll be back pretty quick. Um, but they, I, I think as a whole, uh, when you're just talking about how the pieces fall into place, and I think you said at the very beginning, Adam, you don't really know what's going to happen. And there's so much behind the scenes that we don't know as well. But uh, getting Garrett Mitchell back, even if it was for him just to steal bases or something, would be just such an uplifting thing. But again, these rookies, they want these rookies, um, you know, we all want them to do amazing, but they're rookies. This is really difficult stuff. This is a really difficult sport. Um, and when they when it's scuffling, it's almost like they've never scuffled before. I mean, when has Weimer went through a stretch where he's been able to, you know, have a low like this and then to get himself out of it? He just hasn't had a long enough career. You know, shame on him for being so good and get to the big leagues. Like, he just hadn't had a long enough career to be able to kind of deal with this. So... Maybe this is a great thing when we see him, you know, come back at the end of the year. He may be something different uh, where he's, you know, hitting lefties and brighties and he's hitting to all fields and uh, the Joey Weimer we saw flashes of early in the season. I have a question for both of you. Sophia, because you spend so much time talking to the hitting coaches, you do a great job of checking in with them. And Tim, because you were a great hitter yourself. Cat you know it. Most people probably don't remember you were a great catcher before you were I a great pitcher. I remind you all the time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the the question about Joey Weimer is he's he does it so different, right? He's got all those moving parts. The swing looks so much different than the guy who just has the compact. No one's going to call Joey Weimer's swing compact. And when he gets sent down, a lot of the commentary I saw was they got to clean up that swing. They got to they got to change that swing. They got to simplify that swing. I'm wondering what you guys think about that because we talked a lot when Joey Weimer came up just about the fact he's different is okay. And I think the thought early on when he was producing at a reasonable level was you have to let a player be who he is. He's done it that way. He's had success that way. You cannot overhaul it. Well, now that we've gotten through this second half of the season where there's been so little success, have you guys changed your thinking at all? And Sophia, do you think the hitting coaches have changed their thinking at all about whether they need to kind of, undertake a project to make some changes. I think you're right. It's like, this is how Joey Weimer has hit in college, in the minor leagues, and that is what allowed him to get here. I will borrow one of Craig Council's lines, which is like, the game gives you feedback every day. And the feedback that I think Joey Weimer has received is that there are holes there. And if he wants, like the defense kept him in the lineup, but ultimately, you need to produce something, right? Like, and so I just think for Joey, I think this that this is what any rookie deals with. And I would look at Bryce Terang. Like Bryce Terang has made adjustments since you know from the time that he made the opening day roster 
He got sent down in June. He came back at the end of June. He has looked like a different hitter. Like he's he's made adjustments. And I just don't think Joey was able to make that adjustment. And so I think that was that's been part of the messaging to him is like, it is okay if this is how you've done it or this is what works for you. But when it's not working, then you have to find something to adjust, right? Like, and I, I think just it's hard. I think it's hard for a player, for a rookie who hasn't been through this before. You're seeing the best pitching you've ever seen. Um, it's hard to make – you'll talk to any player. It's hard to make adjustments in the middle of a season. But that's that's what you're expected to do, right? Like Bryce Terang had to do it. I'd go back, Keston Hira. I mean, there's a lot of history there about a his, about you know, and I think the they're willing to have a longer leash with you when they see you trying to make an adjustment. I just I'm not sure they saw that with Joey. Yeah, we don't know. There could be a lot of feedback from all sorts of areas of like, hey, you got to do this, you got to do this. But what I see is, remember when Bryce Harper came up? He goes to the big leagues. He's super young and he has a ginormous swing, which he still does. But his swing is abbreviated from what it used to be. Because pitchers were just like, they're going to find your whole, they're going to find them. That's just what they're built to do. And when I'm watching a game, I'm like, I don't know, I would throw fastballs up in the zone against Weimer just because his hands start out so low. Um, you know, and if he does try to cheat to a fastball up, then his hands are going high, then it's a slider down and away. So you just kind of, you're watching a swing and you're critiquing, but now you have like video supporting it. Like here's him against this pitch and here's it. Like it's, it's so, it's tougher to hit now maybe than ever. So uh, for him to, Hey, we want you to make adjustments. By the way, we're in a, a playoff push. And by the way, if you don't that, you know, it's a lot to deal with. Um, so hopefully it's just a refresher for him. Uh, but at the same time, get him to AAA, figure it out again. And good hitters do that. And it's not just, hey, everything rides on this. It's This is the – we have to play – we got to win now, of course. But at the same time, let's play the long game with players. And I think this is going to pay off for Weimer in the future. All right. Well, we have um, another rookie outfielder to talk about. And Adam had a great conversation with him here in St. Louis. So we'll set up our conversation with none other than Sal Freelich. Coming up next here on Brewers Unfiltered. We're back on Brewers Unfiltered, and the team is in St. Louis, and we had a chance to catch up with Sal Freelich and what a season it has been for him. Uh, came up at the end of July, and since then, 47 games for him, three homers, 21 RBIs, a 268 average for him, and he's been, it's just been so much fun to watch defensively. I mean, the the highlight reel of plays and him crashing into the wall, collisions with Joey Weimer. I mean, the highlight reel is already a long one for Sal Freelich. And he's just been a great guy to get to know, obviously, on the freshman series, going back to spring training, his debut, um, and just all the all the highlights in between. So, Adam, you had a chance to catch up with him before the game on Monday, and it was a, a fun conversation with you and Sal. He loves fall, everything fall. So anybody who loves to like curl up with a pumpkin spice latte, Sal is your guy. And just a, a just a such an easy guy to talk to. This it came up on the homestand that we do this podcast. And he was like all for it. He's like, Yeah, let's do it. Let's chat. 
So he just caught up and you'll hear the thwack of the bat throughout his chatting. We're basically next to the cage between uh, the clubhouse and the dugout in St. Louis. Um, and I think he was just happy to pass the time a little bit. So he gave us a really interesting chat about his roots as a really highly touted high school quarterback, which people might not know, a hockey player, which I think people do know, especially watching him crash into the boards out there. And uh, his roommate happens to be a teammate. And it was uh, that was fun to talk to him about as well. So here is my chat with Sal Freelich in St. Louis. We are here in St. Louis with a crack of the bat in the background, getting ready for the start of a Brewers Cardinal series with Sal Freelich, the Brewers rookie. And Sophia Menert just walked by while we were getting ready to do this and said the first question should be, ask him about fall. I, what did she say? She said, ask him how much he likes fall. So Sal, how much do you like fall? Yeah, I love fall. We were being Sophia were talking the other day. I had my pumpkin uh, cold brew and football was on and I was just really happy. She was like, I'm gonna see you like fall. I was like, yeah, it's my very season. So um, love, you know, the weather, I love pumpkin everything football so yeah definitely my favorite season to guy like what is the uh clubhouse etiquette on like the full pumpkin spice latte with whipped cream and the whole deal do you get you know the business if you come in with a drink like that yeah i i pretty much keep it simpler with just like a pumpkin iced coffee i don't do the whole dress up of the you know caramel and whipped cream but i think if i did i'd catch some slack so i keep it pg well, Sal, this sort of dovetails into what maybe my first question would have been is I'm curious, there's, you know, a couple guys on this team that are getting their first everything in Major League Baseball this year, starting with Bryce on opening day and Joey Weaver right behind that and Andre Monasterio. And then you came in, um, you know, midseason. What is it like dealing with all of the firsts that you're going through? First visit to Bush Stadium, for example, today. But it's happening in this, like, heightened environment of fall, <laughs> of the pennant race that's happening. How do you balance all this stuff that's coming at you all at once? Yeah, I mean, it's fun. I think first and foremost, like being on a team for my first ever big league experience that's, you know, in a pennant race, in the postseason race, like that's what you're worrying about first and foremost. And then there's some times where you look up and you're like, oh, that was, you know, the first for me, like playing in Yankee Stadium right now. And you kind of don't realize it in the moment until maybe after just because you're so invested in the game and, and winning that um, you might not realize it, but I think it's cool like looking up at the end and seeing where that's. Road to bad. Yeah, it's been fun. It's been really fun. Well, we're going to get interrupted by teammates probably as we do this, so sorry, everybody. That was Rowdy Telez weighing in. Um, Sal, you know, now that some time has passed, how do you describe your introduction, your first couple of days in the big leagues? Because that was like so special. As you said, it was like, you know, what you, it, it was more than what you could have possibly dreamed about. Has any of that settled in or has it been like on to the next? Yeah. Um, I think it's just been on to the next. I think that's something that, you know, at the end of the year in the off season, when you're home, you kind of look back on and be like, wow, that was really cool. But I think, you know, when you're playing every single day, um, you really don't have a lot of time to, you know, soak in a win or maybe some success that you've had that, just because it's such a quick turnaround every every night, um, so I haven't really been able to, you know, stay locked on maybe one moment or one game just because you wake up the next morning and you got to do it again. So 
Um, it's just really been on to the next game every single day, especially when you're you know, in a hut like we are. Is that kind of how you like it? Because, like, you know, you've said, even back to in spring training when we talked to you as you were getting ready to go play the World Baseball Classic, you said, like, I want to play games where the only thing you care about is winning. Um, so, so is that sort of – is this what you want here? Yeah. Um, I, I've been a firm believer that competition is what drives success. And I know for me personally that I'll always play better. Um, you know, when going out in the field and worrying about winning is, is the first priority. Um, and so that's kind of what it's always been, even from my first game. Like, you just want to win so bad that, um, you know, I think I'm like, oh, I have to get a hit here. I have to make this play and, you know, in this moment because – you just can't think that way. I think, you know, me personally, I wouldn't have as much success thinking that way. And um, when you want to win the game and you win at the end of the game and you can look up and be like, oh, I had a couple hits today or I had you know, a good play in the field. So um, that's kind of how I've always looked at it and helps me. And is that true of all sports, Sal? Because this is maybe let's go back in time. I, I mean, I didn't realize how good of a football player you were back in the day. And is, you know, you, were, you played football, you played hockey. And, and obviously baseball in high school and football, like you got a scholarship offer to, to um, BC, if I'm mm-hmm. correct. Um, were you always like, was that your mentality always about sports? Yeah, like I remember even when I committed for baseball, I committed um, the summer between my freshman and sophomore year of high school. And I remember telling my coach like, hey, I'm not gonna commit unless I can play football and hockey all the way through high school. Like that's not something I wanna give up. Like. I think it's just so important to play year-round. Other sports can learn so much from other sports. He, I, I didn't just play baseball until I got to college, and I think that was something that I mean, I've had an edge on with my you know competition in college. Maybe you know there were guys that were had much more skill than me there were um, in baseball, but I think like when the lights turned on and it was time to play and compete, like I always had that edge just because that's you know what I craved and what I wanted to do year-round, and I think football and hockey aided that. Well, baseball scouting is all about comps. So if we were to like look at Sal, the high school quarterback, who do you have a comp? Who who, who are you like? Yeah, uh, I mean, everyone said Doug Flutie. Just I was a quarterback, smaller, obviously. Um, Doug was a Massachusetts guy, Boston College guy. But, um, yeah, I was definitely uh, more of like a roll out of the pocket and throw a scramble quarterback just because um, I was a little undersized and, seen over linemen was hard. You know, I wasn't able to sit in the pocket all the time. So um, I guess Doug Flutie, yeah. And you did, there was a scholarship offer. Like, did you ever consider playing at the next level? Yeah, that was something, I mean, my junior year was kind of when I really had uh, um, kind of broke out in the football scene. And I remember after my junior year, I had already been committed for baseball um, to BC, but after my junior year is kind of when I, I got a lot of interest from um, colleges for football. And um, BC had come in and offered me and I was like yeah let's do let's do both and I think that lasted maybe two or three months because um, my my BC baseball coach was like hey I think you should just play baseball and at first I was like no I want to play football so I told my high school football coach I was like if other colleges want to you know offer me for football and baseball like I'm open to hear that like I really want to play both and then um, as that summer went on and I was playing more baseball that summer I kind of realized and was talking with coaches and stuff that um, I should look past college, uh, which is what my um, BC baseball coach was, you know, hounding me on. He's like, I think you can maybe have a career after college, which is something I never thought about. It was just like, um, uh, can I play two sports in college? So, um, and then by the time I was a senior, I kind of was trying to make the mature decision and realized I think maybe baseball is the way to go. You know, that's 
People might be surprised to hear, though, because ultimately they know you, you were a first-round draft pick coming out of college. Was there much – were the scouts interested in high school? No, nothing. Uh, baseball was definitely not my best sport in high school. Um, I was always, you know, talented, but it was never like uh, – I was going to get drafted out of high school for baseball. Like, that was not even a question. Um, I played baseball from tryouts in high school in, in March until, you know, halfway through the summer where, you know, football camp started. So I was never doing these showcases in um, the fall and winter down south. I, I was never going to the perfect game stuff. Like, that's just because I was playing football or hockey. And um, I think – and even if I went to those, it wasn't like I, I think I would have gotten noticed more and scouts would have been like, hey, I think you can, you know – have a chance of getting drafted so it was never anything like that it was just like i'm playing three sports and we'll see what happens after college so nothing really before so how how do you explain like that jump is it just did you just kind of come into your own as a as a baseball player once you got into the college game yeah i mean i had a lot to learn i i went in my freshman year too i tore my meniscus so i didn't do any fall ball freshman year the first college baseball experience I got was actually our first game at Jackson State um, and it kind of just took off from there I had a really good freshman year um, actually got hurt again um, tore my meniscus again at the end of uh, my freshman year so I didn't do any summer ball that year and then sophomore year was COVID so even going into my junior year it was like I wasn't expecting much like I, I wasn't sure how it was going to pan out like obviously I knew if I had a good year I was probably going to get drafted, but it wasn't like I was going to be a first rounder for sure at the end of that year. So um, it was definitely a roller coaster in college, just with everything going on. But I'm glad it panned out how it did. And where does hockey fit in? Um, you know, obviously that was a big interest of yours growing up. Probably most Massachusetts kids feel that way. But that was you were also pretty serious. Yeah, uh, I had played club hockey really seriously all the way until my sophomore year of high school. Um, but club hockey again was in the fall. So I kind of had a decision to make going into my junior year, like, do I still want to play club hockey and focus on that? And the only real reason of playing club hockey then would have been if I wanted to play in college. And I kind of decided to stop playing club and just play high school um, for those last two years of, of um, you know, my high school career. But hockey, again, was one of my first loves. I'd still go out in the pond every winter and go back and skate. Even in college, we were getting on the ice, skating with the hockey kids at BC, just to be in such a, a big hockey school. So... Um, yeah, I definitely think that um, growing up, it was like, especially in New England, it was such a big deal. Like everyone played club hockey. It was like really competitive. But I think by the time I was um, older, it kind of simmered down. I remember talking to Al LaBeouf, the great Brewers minor league hitting coach. And this is a couple of years ago when he was talking about you. And he said he's a, he, he has the hockey mentality on the baseball field. Do you think that's true? And, if, and what does that mean to you? Yeah, um, I, I've definitely heard a lot of people say that. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I, I, I get what he's saying, but at the same point, I think it's just going back to, like, what we were talking earlier about is uh, how other sports can help you um, towards one sport. And I think maybe that's what it was, not necessarily hockey. could have also been football. but And just that Northeast mentality, you know, I think coming out of there, you have to be a little gritty and play tough. Just, you know, it's cold up there. You're not playing um, outdoors a lot. So, um, but, yeah, I think it could be a little reckless abandonment out there and – uh, definitely like to play that way. Does that like who's your favorite baseball player as a kid? Is it was it that type of player? Yeah, Pedroia was the guy I grew up watching. Uh, undersized guy. I was an infielder in high school too, so like watching him, um, especially in you know a town like Boston that loved him so much. Like 
that was my guy and um he's a perfect example of that i think like always laying out for balls um such a tough at bat and growing up watching a guy like that it's someone i wanted to play like and um you know hope i i can do that who who's been the guy here that's you know i i think probably when you talk to a veteran guy who's been in the league there's always like someone who's sort of like put an armor on him metaphorically early on that really advanced their career have you found that guy yet uh, yeah, I mean, we have such a great group of veterans here that I think it's easy to choose anyone. Um, I would say Yelly may, might, might be that for me, just another um, outfielder. And I think the biggest thing, though, of the jump from, you know, becoming a, a big leaguer is just your routine and taking care of your body. And it's a lot of off-the-field stuff and the preparation that goes into actually playing. And I think Christian does such a good job at that. And yeah, he's the first one here, last one to leave, that I've kind of just wanted to be in his hip pocket. And um, you know, it's also a guy who's been so successful, right? Like, you see, obviously, what he does on the field, and I'm like, how does he do that? Like, I, I want to be like that. So um, I've definitely um, kind of followed him around in that aspect, and he's been super helpful with me and all the rookies, Bryce and Joey, too. And, um, I, yeah, I would, say, I would say Ellie. The other thing that I like talking to players who've been in the league for a while is, like, their mentality about how much do you, like, take the game home and think about baseball all day versus, like, turn it off the second you leave the field. And I feel like there's this spectrum of, of the way guys do this over 162 games year after year. I know you're just, you're, you're kind of at the start on the major league level, but where are you on that spectrum of like, how much of the game do you take home with you at night? I would say none. I think I'm one of the guys that complete, completely shuts it off. Um, I live with Bryce, who is a great roommate. And I think when we're home and when we're away from the field, it's more just kind of hang out have a social life, you know, have other interests. And it's, um, for me personally, it's like, I've, I've been in situations, especially when I'm going bad, where I carry it home um, with me and it's something I'm thinking about all the time. And um, it usually doesn't end up well or, you know, help me get back to, to playing, playing good. So um, I think I kind of shut it off pretty much, but at the same time, it's like, I've also cared more when I'm at the facility, you know, when I first get there, even after the game on, um, all baseball so it's like making sure I have really two distinct ones but being in it when I'm at the facility and when I'm home it's kind of just relaxing. Is Bryce a good roommate? Yes he is and we actually joke about this I think I might have even said in spring training that there was like a question that they were asking like who do you think the worst roommate would be and I said Bryce. I hadn't lived with Bryce I don't know why I said Bryce I think it was just I don't know I, I had said Bryce though and he's yeah he's a great roommate we were, we were joking about it the other day because they had it on the video board and it was like you said me and I was like yeah I guess I did but like you're a great roommate man I'm like oh no hard feelings so but yeah he's he's great to live with without you know giving away your spots around Milwaukee if you found any yet to keep them private but like what do you guys do how, how do you kind of get away from the game if you have an off day and online yeah I mean a lot of video games me and Bryce go to breakfast pretty much every morning there's a ton of great spots in Milwaukee um off days we're usually downtown eating dinner too so um and there's a lot of the restaurants around are, are obviously uh, really good with the brewer players and we've made some good relationships with, with some of the restaurants uh, um, in town. So, um, yeah, it's like you know, going out to eat and stuff like that, but pretty much just hanging out. How about cooking? Is Bryce ever, like, making a nice breakfast at home? No, we pretty much have <laughs> zero cooking uh, going on in our apartment. I think it's definitely more uh, going out to get an, a, a good meal because I don't know if we were cooking if it would be that good, but... Uh, yeah, I definitely say we eat out more than, than cook. What do you what would you say have you 
like so far picked up maybe that coming in you didn't think about when you thought about playing major league baseball is there something that like you know has we always say this we always ask you know players and manager the same question but like is there anything that surprised you to i mean for the most part no i mean you, you kind of oh, it's like the big leagues you dream of getting there and all that it brings and it's first and fo- first and foremost it is all that like you take the field every day in front of fans that are paying to watch you and it's like I, I i have only been here for a few months but like i don't think that'll ever get old and um i guess the fan interaction was something that really surprised me not surprised me but like even off the field like how much fans really enjoy their you know city's players and their city's team and i think we live in such a a good town where where the fans are so passionate about baseball and their sports that um it's been a, it's been really fun and i think a, a great place to play yeah, how do you deal with that? Because probably like in Nashville and other stops, you can go out to breakfast and nobody probably has any idea who you are. Here, it's especially the way you came up and debuted, and Bryce, too, comes up, hits a grand slam in the home opener. How, how do you deal with kind of the, the fact that the anonymity is maybe a, a little lost? Yeah, I mean, again, it's definitely the first time that um, we're out to eat and people come up and ask for a picture or something like that, and we love it. Like, that's awesome to us, and you I know Bryce feels the same way, but um, if you know, it's just cool. Like people are so engaged and know their players, and it's like the relationship you have with the fans. I think is so important, and we love when people come up to us. Like it's never like a, a burden on us, and it's it, it's it, it's just really fun. Has there been a favorite moment that you've witnessed? Like we talked about your moments, but what other a teammate's moment that's been like really special? Yeah, a lot. I mean. Um, a lot of these guys I, I grew up watching play, so like watching Yelich get his 10 years is like crazy to me because, you know, I watched him growing up and now I'm on the same team as him and that's such a big milestone. So watching that, I mean, even small moments like watching Canada hit a grand slam the other night and such a great atmosphere, like it's not really a milestone for anybody, but watching another guy I grew up watching and be on the same team as him and being able to watch that from second base was, was really cool. So, yeah. What? Sal, you go home with into this offseason whenever that comes. I know you guys want this to be way down the road. Um, what, what are you going to take away? Because your season, you had Big League Camp, World Baseball Classic, hurt and missing time and having to fight through that, Big League debut, Big League pitchers adjusting to you and, and coming at you, and now pennant race. Like, What are you going to take away from this year, do you think, when it finally is all said and done? Yeah, I mean, like you just listed, I think it's such a good learning year for me um, between the ups and downs of playing well, not playing well, being injured, how to deal with that, being on a team that's in the hunt and having so many meaningful games down the road in September. Like, I really feel like I'm hitting it all um, in all aspects with how a season can go. And I think it's so good that I'm experiencing this because for the rest of my career, I'm going to be in games like this. And getting them out of the way early and being in meaningful games and hopefully a lot of playoff games this year, like you can only learn from that. And I want to make sure I'm really soaking it in. And like I said earlier, watching the older guys and how they go about their business um, in certain situations is I think something you, you got to you know learn. And like you said, pitchers adjust to hitters. And I think they did that with me really quick. So um, just continuing to grow and adjust is I think the name of the game and the off season's all about that. So, yeah. Well, thanks, Sal. We really appreciate the time. Uh, Sophie and I owe you a cold, pumpkin cold brew 
we appreciate this and we'll have you on hopefully again with all three of us awesome. thanks adam Adam, what a what a fun chat with Sal Free. Like, if that doesn't make you want to have a, a pumpkin spice drink or some other cozy fall beverage, uh, I I don't I don't know what else to tell you. It's just that time of year, right? It's it's September. We're talking about postseason. We're talking about pumpkins and fall and all, football and all the good stuff. So um, great to hear Sal to kind of talk about his path here to Milwaukee and Bryce Terang as a roommate, which Tim. How many roommates do you think you had in your playing career? And do you have a favorite roommate? Wow. Um, I've probably had maybe five a year for maybe 17 years, 18 years. So I don't know what the math is on that. I didn't come on this podcast to do math. Y'all know that. Uh, I don't know. Maybe with spring training added in, maybe 100 roommates or something in pro ball. Um, they're all good. They're all good. I love my roommates. Um there was actually a stretch there where if you were my roommate, you got called up. I think it was 2010. Is that when Axford got called up for the first time? Yeah, we were in Iowa, and uh, he was my roommate. It was early in the season, I think, and he got called up, and then whoever was my roommate after that ended up getting called up. So, you know what? <laughs> Everybody wanted to be Dillard's roommate until it didn't work, and then, yeah. But, no, it's it's a special bond that you share. <laughs> Luckily, the big leagues, you don't have to have a roommate. Stuck in a room by yourself. Adam, no, no roommates in MLB.com. <laughs> we can't, co- we can't compare. We don't have, we don't have roommates. Oh no, I have had roommates at MLB.com. We've had at, at times in spring training got some condos, and I had oh. one spring where I was there the whole time, and then others kind of like filtered in. So I had like, uh, you know, two roommates for two weeks, and then two new people for two, and um, yeah, I, I had roommates over the years, so. Yeah, but that's just for six weeks. That's not for a whole season. Well, one time in spring training, we rented a house out in Arizona. We had Zach Jackson was there, Manny Parra, R.A. Dickey slept on the floor upstairs for about two weeks. That was strange. Um, yeah, there was about six of us, and um, you know, some of our wives were there too. We just all we did was after every game, we would, or after every you know practice or game, we would go back to this house and we would play uh, board games or like rock band or something. <laughs> It was cool. That was like the way to go back in the day. But yeah, anyway. Well, for Joey Weimer and Blake Perkins, their their game was not rock band. It was Guitar Hero. Guitar a lot of, Hero, lot yeah. of games of Guitar Hero happening. That, that uh, is like the funniest movies. combo. Like Joey Weimer, the Labrador, running around with, you know, <laughs> wagging his tail. And then Blake Perkins is like Mr. Cool. Like, you know, he's like the, I don't know. I don't even know what. If, if Joey Weimer's the Labrador, Blake Perkins is like so, someone named the calm, chill dog. That's Blake Perkins. <laughs> that is Chihuahua. the funniest comment. No, that's wrong. No. <laughs> yeah, I'm blank. I'm blanking on what what the right dog breed would be for that. But like he's the cat. He's the cat. He just sits there and chills. And the dog is like pawing at him, and the cat just looks at him, and then every now and then he raises a paw and whaps him across the face. That's Blake Perkins. <laughs> we should let him know. what what a duo well um we we shouldn't sign off here before mentioning that top prospect jackson churio um, who's had a fabulous season in double a with biloxi has been promoted to triple a to the nashville sounds for the final week of the triple a season so in biloxi 122 games for churio 280 average 22 homers 89 rbis 
43 stolen bases and the OPS for him over 800. Guys, a quick comment from you on uh, Jackson Cheerio getting a little taste of AAA to cap off a great year. Well-deserved, number one. Uh, number two, I talked to Tom Flanagan about this because what can a guy get from one week, right? But the idea is to just ground him there. <clears throat> they happen to be at home in Nashville. He knows where the, he'll know where the stadium is. He'll know where to go when he pulls up, you know, in his car and finds his way to the clubhouse. It just, it just takes one little, you know, a couple little boxes are checked uh, over the course of this week. And the idea then is that Jackson Churio goes to AAA to start next season. And he's on the radar then. And you start thinking about an, an outfield that's Mitchell Freelick. Weimer, Yelich, Jackson Churio at some point, you know, there's uh, th- there's some really interesting combinations that you can start to kind of think about in the second half of next season that they're going to have to work through and figure out. But, you know, credit to Jackson Churio for having a huge breakthrough season in 2022 and then backing it up with just a steady year at double A as a 19 year old. It's remarkable. He is a great talent. He has work to do, as Tom Flanagan says. The big leagues are a lot harder than what he's dealing with in Double A. But big credit to him for for backing up a breakthrough season with a really really good year. Yeah, Biloxi finished on Sunday, and if they decide like, man, this guy can play some more games, then that's the right move. Send him to Triple A. Guy had forty three steals. That tells me his legs still feel pretty good to be able to pull that off for you know one hundred twenty odd games. So yeah, promote him. And just see what he does. And don't judge him on, okay, well, he didn't hit very well. It's like, who cares? Just just see how, just get acclimated to that type of environment uh, with those coaches, with those new teammates. Uh, I think it's a great move. I I, I kind of wish, you know, Biloxi would, you know, make playoffs and do all that. And I think they probably kept him there for a while just in case. Like, you don't want to be the guy that gets ripped away from your, from your team of a whole season at the very end um, and don't get to share in that stuff. So yeah, when the season's over, man, push those guys along that are ready. And, and it's, it's a good move. The first teenager to have a 2040 season, at double A AA or triple A in 18 years. Can you name the last guy, Tim? For the, <laughs> this is impossible. Delman Young was the last oh, yeah, teenager that's what I was say. Oh. to have a 2040 season at double A AA or triple A. So that, been a while since somebody, you know, performed the way Jackson Churio did before his 20th birthday in a really, really tough league. Yeah, I mean, I played in the Southern League. There's not a whole lot of cheapy places to get a whole bunch of home runs. It's not like playing in the California League where you, you know, you pop up a ball in some of those places. It goes forever. So for him to get, you know, 20, was it 22 homers, 22 pumps in the Southern League, that's pretty legit. Well... For Jackson Jurio, I mean, I think, Adam, you said it. Like, the the best number of his season is 19 years old. Like, I yeah. let us never forget that Jackson Jurio is 19 years old. Like, with all of the other numbers. And, and also, let's be honest, like, just – and he spoke about this. Like, you know, the hype around him, the expectation around him for being a, a the top prospect in the game, being the top prospect in the organization. I mean, there's – there's weight that comes with that when you know that there's so many eyeballs on you and for him to handle it the way that he has and to put up these numbers I mean it's just tip of the cap to Jackson Cheerio so we'll see how he does getting his feet wet there in uh in triple a we'll be keeping an eye on him and Garrett Mitchell and the rest of the Nashville sound so 
Um, good, good week here on Brewers Unfiltered. We'll continue the road trip, St. Louis and Miami. We'll all finally get a day off and we'll uh, regroup and be ready to go for the final homestand. So thanks for listening in here on Brewers Unfiltered. Make sure you're keeping up with us and keeping up with the team at Brewers on all the social media platforms. Thanks for listening.